Welcome to The Connection, a podcast to connect you to the parish of Yate. My name's Howell. And I'm Justin. We are your hosts sharing with you the good news of the parish and to enable you to grow outside of the walls of the church building. Right, so we're here with Charlie uh, and today we're beginning our series of impossible people because uh, Charlie is a scientist, I'm a scientist, uh, Justin's a scientist, there's loads and loads of scientists and engineers in church, particularly in our church in Yate, there's tons of us, but we're told that we can't exist, we are impossible people, which is why I broke copyright uh, by putting the, uh, the Knight Rider theme in, because he's a man who does not exist. So I'm here today with Charlie, who is a man who does not exist. Thanks very much. That's right. So Charlie, tell us what you studied at university. So uh, I went to university to study physics. I studied in the University of Bath and uh, I was there for seven long years for my uh, undergraduate and my PhD. Um, So I got interested in physics at school, just a real thirst for understanding how things are the way they are, why things work the way they do. And uh, physics is... A description of the world around us the things that we see every day physics describes why that works the way it works and um, that's why it's interesting because it's ordinary everyday stuff in it exactly everything from why does a wheel roll when it goes down a hill all the way to uh, why ice cubes melt when you put them in water uh, loads of fun things all described by laws of physics that's right and I, I i annoyed my daughter this evening where she asked the question why is it that when i open up the freezer Lots of smoke comes out, and my wife went, Oh, don't, no, no, no. I said, Oh, it's water vapor, and it's the change of temperature, and all that. And she's like, Oh, no, no, no. So, physics is, uh, and I suppose all science is about dis- ways of describing uh, the world around us in uh, laws, mainly, isn't it? It's about sort yep. of setting rules and laws in order to describe and predict what's going to happen in the future. Exactly, exactly, yeah. that's it. So you can take a number of different scenarios and you apply the same laws each time and you can describe exactly how each one of them is going to behave. That's, that's right. It. So that's if, how physics works. Yeah. Exactly. So if I took a ball and I dropped it off the tower of uh, St Mary's, I will be able to predict exactly the speed of that ball when it hit the ground. Yep, Using exactly. Newton, right, Newton's laws. And it doesn't matter how many times I throw the ball off, it will still fall at exactly the same speed. Exactly. That's the idea. Well, in theory, if it was in a vacuum and before someone, before someone <laughs> there was goes, no oh, wind, and, there was no yeah. wind, and, and there was no air resistance or any of that. But that that's basically what it is. So, what what's your favourite thing? That what's the the most awesome thing that uh, in physics that that really sparked it off for you? Then? Oh, what sparked it off? Uh, so. We were talking about this earlier, actually, but I, I really enjoyed the first time I ever encountered wave particle duality. Right. Do you want uh, to explain? I'm going to explain terms, that in really right? simple in terms. terms. Right. Um, there are a bunch of things in physics which can be described like a wave, like on the sea, um, or as a particle, like a, a ball. Um, uh, and uh, light is one of them. Uh, I really enjoyed light. I did light in my PhD. I did optics. Um, but electrons are another one. And there's a really famous experiment called the Joule slit experiment, where if you think about it, you've always been taught that electrons are these little balls that whiz around the outside of atoms. If you think about this experiment, you think about one answer. You do the experiment, and it's completely different. And it, at, 
absolutely blows your mind when you first see it. You, you can't understand how it works. And the only way it works is if the electron is a wave and a particle at the same time. Yeah, so it's, it's something which is two things all at the same time. Yes. That's right. So it's quite interesting that everything in the universe, right, is two things at the same time. It, it, yes, everything is two things at the same time. Everything and, can be described as both a wave and a particle to some extent. That's right. And and they're inseparable, aren't they? You can't say sometimes it's a wave and sometimes it's a particle. It's always a wave and always a particle. There are times when to observe a certain thing, it has to behave like a particle. And there are times when to observe a certain other feature or another observable, it has to behave like a wave. So, yeah. So fundamental to the universe is the idea of something being two things all at the same time. Yeah. And that's what first sparked all off for me. Yeah. Now then, for those theologians around, we'll leave them there for a moment, right? <laughs> okay, we'll come back to that later. Alright? There's one thing you have not one thing I do notice having gone from uh science into theology, right, is they're not very different. People go, oh they must be like really different, but I think the way theology is taught, the way you know the God stuff is taught, it's always taught from a kind of arts perspective, from a kind of humanities perspective. And I never understood it in that mode. So what I did was, when I went to the monastery to, to learn about you know, God and theology, I had to translate it all into science for me to understand it. So I spent the first term of doctrine classes going, what is this guy on? This is just rubbish. But when I translated it into like biology and physics think, it it made sense. And that's one of the reasons why the principal at the theological college at Oxford, or the guy that was there, Alastair McGrath, he writes nearly all the um, theology books, textbooks, is a he's a PhD biologist. So I understand his books because he thinks like a scientist. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's really interesting because I approach my faith in the same way. I've uh, just started going to a home group, um, following on from an alpha course. And one of the things I found through all, all of that alpha course and all of the home group is that I ask questions like a scientist mm. about my faith. And it feels very much like the questions I asked when I first started asking physics questions about the way the world around me works. It's, what does this mean? What is this thing that I'm, I, I can read... Or I'm being told, what is this telling me? And how do I then take that forward and build little by little onto what I understand? And it's not, as you say, an art subject of here's some nice words and this is what they mean. It's a science subject of what is this telling me about the world around me? And, and how that's does, the way... And that, how, does that, how is that applied in everyday life? Exactly. Which is how I've always approached it, is that if that is true, whatever you're saying, then therefore we should see this, this, this and this and this. And the next question I always ask is, do we see this, 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 and this? Yes. And what I've seen is when you do apply uh, that method, that scientific method, in a sense, to theology, um, it works because, well, apparently in the, in the past, theology was said to be the queen of the sciences. <laughs> and some of the older theologians, um, like Thomas Aquinas, were scientists as well. So they express themselves in those terms. So the more Catholic theologians, a lot of the time, are more uh, systematic in how they work. Yeah. Yes. If we 
have a think about some questions really then around around science have we got any questions about say science and uh, theology or science and the christian faith then put me on the spot then but to put you on one. the spot yeah so uh, i think there's a couple that the first one is um it it's very easy to hear in the, the popular news that there's another scientific discovery explaining a little bit more about the universe and if you follow that forwards eventually we're going to know everything about we're going to be able to measure everything we're going to be able to see everything we're going to have a theory for everything that describes how it all works um and it feels a little bit like we're going to get to a point where everything's just clockwork where in that is there a space for god that's a, a common question I think. yeah i think there's two things to say about that though uh the first thing to say about it is and you'll know this from physics is that in the 1910s, they said, well, we won't have to bother doing physics research in 20 years' time because we would have worked it all out uh, by then. And then Einstein came along and uh, Schrodinger and all the rest of the quantum physicists and said, yeah, well, everything you know about physics is actually completely wrong. And there's this brand new physics that's coming in, uh, which is even better than before. So I think that makes a, a very sort of almost childlike assumption about science that it's somehow we know where the end point is right so just see what i mean yep. so a lot of what i learned in university when i did biology uh was was wrong it hadn't been hadn't been proved right yet hadn't been proved wrong yet so what science the answers you get in science is this is a theory that we haven't proved wrong yet that's the best we can do, is this is something that we're trying to prove wrong, but we haven't been able to do it yet. So in science, you don't actually get a positive answer. You get an answer which we haven't been able to prove wrong yet. You can only find things which are falsifiable or false, isn't it, right? Yeah. That we are, see? So I, I remember. And, uh, <laughs> I remember. And, and when I was in, in university, we had to buy Albert's Molecular Biology of the Cell, <laughs> which is the standard textbook that every biologist has to have, right? And that was on the fourth edition, right? And you could buy the third edition, because the fourth had just come out, and save 30 quid and spend it on beer, right? Because it was 50 quid, was Albert's. But a lot of the information in the third edition had been falsified. So everyone who spent the extra 30 quid on beer failed the exam, right? <laughs> and now we're on the seventh edition. So therefore, the stuff that I learned in university has now been falsified. So I think it's how science is taught through the media and through um, schools sometimes. There's a bunch of facts we have to remember. That isn't true, is it? I think, I think that's really interesting because it, for me, it is very much the tools you have to look at the world define how much you can see. And I think back to, say, Newton and, and Newton's law of gravity. And it's great because he had a set of tools and he described the world around him the best way that he could. And it was brilliant. And then along comes Einstein with his thought experiments and describes a whole new set of things, some of which only very, very recently have been shown are exactly the way they are. Um, gravitational lensing around the sun was the big thing to, be, to, be, to prove that this, this stuff existed and behaved in the way that Einstein had had said um and 
that's we couldn't have done that without the engineering and the tools to be able to see some of those types of things. So I think you're right. I think it's always uh, an evolution based on how much we can probe, how far we can get, what we can actually see, what we can actually measure. Um, and those things, whilst they're always getting better, they're always getting better, comparative, not best, absolute. Yeah, it's to do, I always think about it, when uh, I was a kid, we walked up Penavan yep. with uh, the ATC, which is the tallest mountain in South Wales, and you walk up it, and you get to the top of the ridge, you think, right, that's the top now, and you get to the top of the ridge, and then there's another ridge you've got to get over, <laughs> and you go through that, like, so it feels like it's going on forever, yep. but eventually you get to the top of the mountain. Yeah. And I think it's part of our human nature to always think that my discovery will be the top of the mountain. But I know from practical experience of being a scientist is that when you do find an answer, like in the research I did on uh, diabetes, you don't get an answer. You just get another 10 questions. <laughs> so you just get to the top of the, the ridge and you go, oh, there's another 10 ridges to go up. And so it's an infinite mountain to climb. And I think there's a wonderful hymn that monks sing. Uh, we sing when it's um, the doctor of the church, which is a type of saint who's like the best theologian ever. There's like 26 of them, right? And there's a line that says, through your life you strain to catch a vision. And I think the Christian faith is the same, that for me anyway, and for lots of others, that we're straining to capture reality but whatever we see as reality will always be a pale reflection of what it actually is because we don't have the equipment to be able to work out what is actually there. And that's something science taught me. Mm. And when I went to do theology, that was... Well, th there's a joke with that, is when I used to do my lab talks, right, I always used to finish them with, we've got to remember we're looking through a glass darkly. So we don't know. And everybody said, that's a brilliant phrase, that. Where do you get that phrase from? I said, oh, I'll tell you later. And then after a while, one of them turned around and said, that's from the Bible. And I was like, yeah, it is, yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's from 1 Corinthians. And they went, oh, I don't like that. In the second half of your question, you're saying about what happens when we find stuff. Uh, does it make God smaller? That's the idea, isn't it? The more we find out, the smaller God becomes. And that's yeah. a very Victorian idea, isn't it? It is, it is. And I think the, the common one most people would understand is the Big Bang, right? Yeah. There's this idea that we've got this theory, the Big Bang is a very good theory, and there's lots of things we can measure, and cosmic microwave background radiation. But we keep getting further and further back in time to whatever small number of nanoseconds and closer, smaller to the actual event. Um and you could argue, well, that's just, you know, more and more that we know and less and less space there was at the beginning for God to create the world, uh, God to create the universe. Yeah. Well, that's like saying, yeah, but the interesting thing with that is that um, the reason it's called the Big Bang is because Fred Hoyle, who was a big atheist at the time, called it the Big Bang to mock it because atheists didn't believe in the Big Bang until the late 60s when they found the cosmic background radiation especially because the Big Bang was just, uh, first proposed by a Catholic Jesuit priest, which made it even worse. And they said, we can't have the Big Bang, because then that implies that the universe had a beginning. And if it has a beginning, then we know that everything that has a beginning uh, has a cause. 
And that's what Thomas Aquinas said. So let's not have the Big Bang because you're opening the door to these religious zealot people, right? Because we know, because we're intelligent sort of atheists, right? That the universe has always existed and it's always been the same and it's always been in this steady state. And then they found the cosmic background radiation. They said, well, there can't be a God because the Big Bang. And it's quite interesting if you look at the history of cosmology, the only constant in it is people say, well, it can't be a God because. But the reason always contradicts the reason before. So in the 50s, there couldn't be a God because there was no Big Bang. Then there couldn't be a God because there was a Big Bang. And now there can't be a God because there's um, quadrillions and quadrillions and quadrillions of other universes which do exist definitely governor but we can't detect them and never will be able to uh trust me because i'm a physicist but yeah that's true though yeah the argument is there as you say it's it, it, it is a very victorian way to think that the more and more that what we could what we could ever understand is finite and the more and more we chip away at it the less and less space there is the reality perhaps more realistically is we're sitting in a bubble, making our bubble of understanding bigger and bigger, but we have no idea how big it goes on the outside. No one's got a clue how big the mountain is. No, exactly. And I think the Victorians, because the scientific revolution just got a bit too overconfident, as human beings tend to be. I, I think it's a, I think it's a bit like an adolescent thing. Um, when you're fifteen, you 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 know a little bit, so you think you know it all. And I think when you get a bit older, you realise how much you don't know. And yeah. what science should teach us is, and theology, is how much we don't know. Yeah. My, my wife always says, uh, we're, all, we're all wrong. We're all in for a shock when we get to heaven. But some of us are in for more of a shock than others. Yeah. And I think that's sort of the way to look at it. How we understand the world will always be uh, about our culture. Mm-hmm. And I think we're, in, we're, we're almost in like a cage by our culture that we have to perceive things in a certain way and I think that um, what's happened now is this idea that God is an, um, a kind of primordial idea to help explain things that we now have a better explanation of yeah. what that basically is is a misunderstanding about what Christians understand God to be and I suppose what I would say is that what God is is the lawgiver in other words, the person who sets these, the mind that sets these laws, uh, which we then discover when we do physics. So he doesn't actually make stuff happen in the sense of like, you know, the that's more like the Greek gods or like the Hindu gods, where, you know, you say, well, why does the apple fall? Well, because the god of gravity grabs hold of it and pulls it down. That's never been the Christian or the Jewish understanding from way, way back before Jesus, that's always been the pagan understanding. Christians and Jews and and Muslims have always thought that God is the guy who sets the laws, or the, the, the mind that sets the laws, and through following those laws, life emerges. And that's, that's a big theme in the, in the Bible. That's really, really interesting, because there's a uh, quote from a scientist about... Um... Uh, knowing when you you've got things right because things that are right in in physics and science are usually very elegant, yeah. and we see uh, 
we see God in the beauty around us as we, you know, walk through the park or you know, go over to Westernburg in the Arbor region. You can see God, people can see God quite clearly in the things that they see that are beautiful around them. Um, and yet in science, when things are written down elegantly, they have a beauty of all of their own to a scientist. Yeah, because you're just as nerdy as me. <laughs> and when we look at equations and things, we see them as, or when I look at a, a protein or something, or a DNA sequence or whatever, I see that as as beautiful as walking through an arboretum or whatever. Um, because in that, you think God's thoughts after him, which is what Johannes Kepler said, uh, who discovered the... Um, uh, elliptical orbits of the planets isn't yep. it he said uh, yeah we're thinking god's thoughts after him and that's why science started by boyle and newton and all these other people because they assumed that the universe would have laws because they believed in god who was the law giver and they wanted to think god's thoughts after him right and that's why science emerged in the christian world and not in like China or anywhere else, because China was just as technically advanced as we were. But why here? That's the question, and that's what historians have come back with. Finally, I'll I'll put this bit in just to answer my own question earlier on, so to boggle your brain a bit, is uh, when I was in doctrine class, we were talking about the nature of Jesus, right? Who is Jesus? And the... Father Peter, whose nickname was The Pig, right? Yeah, <laughs> don't ask me why, right? <laughs> Piggy, we used to call him. Oh, Piggy. Uh, he said that Jesus is both human and divine all at the same time, right? And, and everybody else in the class went, well, I've often wondered about why that's possible. That, that can't be possible. It can't be two things at the same time. Uh, that, that can never happen. It's either one thing or another. Either he's human or he's divine. He can't be both, right? And then Father Peter, the pig, said, well, we say it every week in the creed, right? He is of one substance with the Father. What's all that about? And they all went, oh, well, I don't understand that. And I, I went, oh, I know. It's like the particle duality theorem, isn't it? And everybody <laughs> went, what? And then one guy who was, um, was also a scientist turned around and goes, yeah, he's right. Because if we say everything in the universe is both a wave and a particle, like we said earlier, then if everything in the universe has to reflect the nature of God, everything in the universe does reflect the nature of Jesus because Jesus is human and divine and everything in the universe is a wave and a particle. There you go. So we'll finish with that. If you've under, if you've enjoyed it, great. Give us some feedback. If you say, go and nerd off somewhere else, we will understand. <laughs> we hope you've enjoyed this week's show. There's more content to follow. And you can find out more by going to yateparish.org.uk. As a podcast, you can also find us on iTunes and within SoundCloud. And as every week goes by, more podcast platforms will pick up the connection. 
so you can be the first to listen to the new edition of The Connection. Thank you for listening and we look forward to hearing from you in the near future. The way to communicate with us can easily be found on our website, yateparish.org.uk. God bless.